Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Joining us now on the program, a good friend, a very, very astute man when it comes to rugby, originally out of South Africa, a very good rugby correspondent, John O'Connor. Evening to you, John. Welcome. G'day, Mark. How are you doing? Well, frustrated. You can probably sense that, John. Not a happy man. Used to love my rugby in this country, John, and we've had this discussion. We've moved from being rugby fans to All Black fans, and that is bloody dangerous because we're also hearing rhetoric last year when the All Black teams were losing, judge us on the World Cup. So not only have we been reduced to being All Black fans, we're now being told, actually, it's okay to lose as an All Black fan as long as we win the Rugby World Cup. John, you've been here. You remember the glory days of Super Rugby when South Africa was involved, and you know it used to be a wonderful competition to now what we've got is called Super Rugby Pacifica. Just keen to get your perspective on things. Uh, before we then have a look um, at the current state of South African rugby and whether they've benefited from not being part of this absolute Mickey Mouse outfit called Super Rugby Pacifica. Yeah, there were a few things that you mentioned in your diatribe there that just really stuck out to me. One of them was it was never the case where you would ever hear the All Blacks say, judge us on the World Cup. Because every game was a game that the All Blacks were expected to win. They were the only team in the world that was the favorite wherever they played, including away from home. And that was just something that New Zealanders came to expect and and almost didn't realize how extraordinary that was. Uh, nobody else expected to travel anywhere in the world and win on every Saturday. And uh, you had a, a generation of players that came through that only enhanced that. I mean, I remember reading somewhere that Conrad Smith's win percentage was something ridiculous, like 93 or 94% of the games that he started for the All Blacks, they won, uh, which is just unbelievable, right? Um and the All Blacks had some incredible statistic like out of 162 games that they were leading at half time, they won 148 of them. It's, you know, it's like these kind of statistics that were just unprecedented, not only in rugby, but in, in team sport in the world, right? So to hear those kind of sentiments expressed about uh, yeah, you know, judge us on the World Cup, but not on our performance this last weekend. That's just was not the All Black way. Yeah, it's interesting though, isn't it, John? Because very much the emphasis now are the All Blacks. They bring in, they bring us in the money. It's the All Black brand. Well, the All Black brand, ironically, was about performance, precision, and no compromise. And with the exactly. ideology we've got at the moment, we're starting to actually. Uh, not only are we, you know, starting to lose our um, aura of invincibility, but we're actually starting to erode the very brand that we rely on to bring the money in. Uh, John, so so let's just have a look at the current state of Super Rugby. I mean, it's what, what's your take on this whole Super Rugby competition? Well, I think that over the course of the years, some disastrous decisions were taken. 
and we we here and I've been in New Zealand now for eight years, seven, eight years now, and um, coming up as a New Zealand citizen. So I'm gonna I'm gonna use the term we, even though my accent <laughs> might still betray where I come from. But we have this tendency in many positions in New Zealand life where decisions are taken and people are not held responsible, whether that's um, brought about by a three-year election cycle, both in local government or uh, national government level, or even when it comes to heading up the board of New Zealand rugby. Decisions are taken, people then move on, and other people live with the consequences, and nobody's name is ever mentioned with those decisions that were taken. And starting with, I think, the death knell of, of Super Rugby was when they moved to the conference system. In order to accommodate more teams, um, they went to this sort of uh, conference system where they said to us, they told us that we wanted more Derby games. And I was still living in South Africa at that stage, and I can tell you that is not the case. Um, because in many in many instances, the Blue Bulls, for instance, were almost exactly the same team, barring Springboks that were maybe playing in the Four Nations. That was the same as the Curry Cup team. So South Africans weren't interested in another two, three, four, whatever games of seeing the Sharks play the Bulls. They wanted to see New Zealand teams. And starting with that decision... Yeah, yeah John, can I, John, can I just jump in there? John, John, can I just jump in there? Because I agree with you. You know, it was all just... Really, all it was was a cost-cutting exercise, wasn't it? Exactly. It's exactly. And it was never, it was never brought up. I actually was at a, a panel discussion that was hosted for for a, a business event and I was invited to go along for a panel discussion and I sat with one of the board members of New Zealand Rugby. I won't mention his name. He's not here to defend himself. But uh, a very high board member of New Zealand Rugby and it was chaired by Melody Robinson. And so, and I posed that question. I said, is it not true that this is just to cut costs? Because if you just have to fly from Wellington to... Uh, Auckland on Friday, play on Saturday, rather than spend a week in South Africa and put a whole touring crew up um, in five-star hotels, or vice versa. You're saving millions upon millions of dollars every year. And the person refused to answer the question. Um, Having said to me before this panel discussion, ask me anything. I know you're friends with Mark Watson. Uh, I'm not uh, bothered with that, you can ask me anything. Anything is game. The person got really upset and refused to answer. So that was just about a cost-cutting exercise while adding teams. And unfortunately, what sport administration has shown over the course of professionalism, so let's say the last uh, 80 years, say so maybe post-World uh, War II, across all sorts of sports, um, all versions of professionalism. If you make decisions based on money and not on improving the game itself, at the end of the day, they prove to be bad decisions. If you take decisions that are made to improve the quality of of the sport, in, a, in other words, I hate the term the product, but actually decisions that are based on how do we get better rugby to be played or safer rugby to be played or how do we protect the game from uh, whatever might be threatening it, whether it's COVID or whatever. Or you're making decisions uh, 
based on money. When you make decisions based on money, the sport suffers. So that was that was the the you know the the domino that started all of this. Mm-hmm. And then of course a bunch of other decisions came afterwards that have hugely affected Super Rugby, including as you say pulling players out. Um, and of course, a terrible, terrible decision to boot South Africa into the cold when they were in such a desperate financial strait, <laughs> having not played rugby for a year, and confining them to joining the Northern Hemisphere, yeah, forcing yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. John, I'll come back, and I do want to then get you to expand on that further in regards to us kicking South Africa into the cold. John O'Connor, South African correspondent, is my guest on the program. Uh, but John, just let's just go back and let's talk about this rest and rotation. I mean, you know, you've got the Hurricanes this week um, who take on yeah. the Chiefs, a Chiefs team that's come off a loss. Hurricanes team that are always in every game; they're always in the contest. But we've been told no Artie Severe, no Geordie Barrett because. Under the all-black coaching mandate, they're not allowed to play more than five games in a row. I mean, it, you look at the popularity of the NRL. The best players play every damn week if they're available. I'm not sure another competition in the world where you're constantly told you're tired. I haven't seen this model working. They've implemented it going back to 2018, 2019. We lost a Rugby World Cup. We haven't been great for the last three years. And the only person that seems to suffer are the fans. But it also just reinforces that New Zealand rugby do not give a shit, excuse the language, about the domestic game. It is just all about the All Blacks. And sport, when it comes down to whether you look at the English Premier League, you look at the NBA, you look at the most successful sports competitions in the world – Ultimately, it is all about the fan and fan engagement. Yeah, I think that, I think that what we need to realize is that the All Blacks were the most successful sporting team. team let me rephrase it. The All Blacks were the most successful sporting team when it comes to team sport, right? Yes. In the history of sport. And they were that way because they were doing something different. Like playing. So why, well, whatever, it, one of the things that sets uh, New Zealand rugby apart, and there's a few of them that we can talk about, but one of them is that there is an ethos that traditionally spread across the entire uh, vein of New Zealand rugby. The entire, if you look across... Uh, kids playing at the start of of their uh, rugby journey to All Blacks. There was commonalities across them, and there were values that were held across them. And some of them were purposefully kept in the All Blacks, like um, you hear about um, the implementation of an of, you know after every Test match, All Blacks would sweep the shed, right? They would tidy up in the change room afterwards, which is you know I played um, on. It's not the wisest of decisions, but I still play President's Rugby. And after, you know, when you, when you finish the game, we played our opening match on the weekend, and and um, when you finish the game, you tidy up behind you because this is how clubs are run. You know, there's not money to to get somebody to come in and do a, a giant cleanup, and there's a broom there, and you sweep it up, and you throw away your, your strapping, and you throw away whatever your rubbish is, and you tidy up behind you. And the All Blacks instituted that, that there would always be two players, doesn't matter how senior they are, and be a roster to tidy the change room afterwards. That there would always be an attitude of thankfulness. There'd always be an appreciation of the game um, ahead of the self, right? 
And a whole lot of these things have been undermined by decisions that have been taken, so far as I can see, by the top level of leadership mm. that have undermined the idea that, the, that everybody in rugby matters. So the kid that's playing mm. on Saturday who's six or seven and is playing uh, the very beginning part of rugby matters as much as an all-black. Whether he's going to become an all-black one day or not, he's part of the rugby family, yep. and there's a way that rugby is approached in New Zealand. And, it start- and that's all yep. undermined by yeah, and, and it's got to start at the mm-hmm. top. It, yeah, it's got to start at the top, and um, it flows down. And everyone says, "Hey, those guys are doing it. We can do it." But look, I just sense now with New Zealand rugby, and I blame Steve Chu for a lot of it. And I think Mark Robertson inherited it, but I think he's done nothing to address it. Um, I question the whole leadership, and they're, they're paranoid about the media, and I think they're paranoid about the fan. I don't think they're transparent. Um, they've got control over the media and again um, it's going to come back to bite them. John I, I just quickly want to come back and just get you to talk about South Africa's your understanding of South Africa exiting Super Rugby at the hands of maybe some pretty selfish self-centred decisions from New Zealand Rugby but the fact now that South African Rugby seem to be thriving in a different environment Yeah I think this is not my opinion, this is 100% fact that after the 2020 COVID year, where news, you know, it's very easy for us to forget just uh, how bad COVID was. I mean, we as a country went through a fraction of what the rest of the world did. Aucklanders, of course, went through much more than the rest of the country um, over the period. But, you know, the toll both in uh, social interactions, in pure deaths, for instance, in a country like South Africa, was unbelievable. Right? And, and the effect on the society was unbelievable. So in the year 2020, we at least had a, a competition held within the country and we had a fairly normal life and then we had some shutdowns in 2021. But South Africa exited um, the World Cup in 2019, entered 2020, COVID hit and played zero rugby in the country, nothing. And the country was shut down to a level that is very hard for us to perceive. And the, and the death toll it was also huge in South Africa. And so coming out, coming to the end of 2020, where South Africa had had zero rugby and no income, New Zealand announced that, the New Zealand Rugby Union announced that they were going to have a super rugby, uh, I can't remember, was it Aotearoa, or super rugby Pacific, I can't remember the exact designation in 2021 and they were going to invite and the sheer um, crass uh, lack of humility in this statement, they were going to invite Australia to apply to be part of the competition but they weren't going but South Africa and Argentina weren't welcome to play in that competition and at that point it's important to remember that all the years leading up to the talk about South Africa joining the Northern Hemisphere competitions was all talk and media. It wasn't South Africa saying they were going to do it. Right? They wanted to stay in in in, uh, in the Sanzar relationship and play Super Rugby. And in many ways, I think it was very good for South Africa because it exposed them to playing against New Zealand teams, the best teams. But when New Zealand Rugby, when New Zealand Rugby did that, they they completely removed 
all options from South Africa. Because if South African, the rugby union there, had not gone to the Northern Hemisphere, rugby would have collapsed completely. They had a year of no income. They had no choice. And they basically cut their own teams, that's the Cheetahs and the Kings, who were competing in the, UR, the United Rugby Championship, they cut them off at the knees and, and negotiated bringing the big four super rugby teams into their competition. And they're thriving in that now. And to me, it's only a, it's only a matter of time before they show that they will bring huge numbers and value to the Six Nations. And when that happens, and they don't longer need to be part of the Four Nations tournament, then New Zealand's going to reap the consequences of just basically cutting their partner off, um, you know, on a desperate sort of like line that they were, lifeline that they were holding to and just say, you're on your own, mate. Yeah, but but John, New Zealand rugby don't care, mate, because they've got Japan now. They can have a test up there in Japan every year and bank three or four million dollars. Who cares if we play South Africa or anybody any good now? Let's just franchise the damn All Blacks. Let's just take some boxes and let's just try and win a Rugby World Cup. And that, John, is me being incredibly facetious, incredibly cynical, but that's the great frustration because you're 100% correct. I mean, you know, let's bring back touring South Africa every four years, playing Greekland West and the midweek teams, and then invite South Africa over and get rid of this nonsense called the Rugby Championship, and let's just bring some life back to and have some meaning in these games and just not just make it all about the Rugby World Cup, but to do that too, you've got to have bottom-up. You've got to have the domestic game. You've got to have all of those other competitions. And it's just so incredibly frustrating, John. Hey, look, John, lovely to have you on the programme and some great insight. Thank you, mate. And, um, yeah, you know, I'd like to, for us to finish on something positive. There's still incredible talent in this country. And there's still no doubt that that the reason... Uh, one of the reasons why New Zealand is so good and one of the reasons why the Springboks are so good also is because of the way that they approach playing each other and because it matters so much. I can tell you every little boy growing up in South Africa dreams of of when he's playing in the yard with the rugby ball. He's, he's, he's got his little green jersey on that he's pretending is a Springbok jersey and he's only playing one opponent. Right, it's the black jersey that he's that he's visualising playing against, and there is so much talent both in this country and South Africa that, with the right decision making, rugby could is is in very good hands. There's some very good players, some very good leaders on the field, and I'm hoping that this World Cup we'll see a number of new and exciting stars come to the fore, and we'll have a fantastic tournament. John O'Connor, lovely to have you on the program. Thank you.